Father, the words we have just sung are indeed the prayer of our hearts, that your Holy Spirit, the very breath of God, would come and breathe new life into our souls. Father, this morning some of us find our souls willing, but some of us find our souls distracted. Others find their souls tired. Lord, we ask that you would come and make it well with all our souls, breathing new life into us this morning. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Psalm 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lots of people, many people, perhaps even the majority of people, don't actually like going to church. Now this is proved by how many people are currently uh, either at the mall or on the golf course compared to how many people are currently at church. Many people, lots of people, the majority of people don't particularly like going to church. Now why is this the case? There are, I'm sure, a thousand reasons. But I have a theory this morning I want to share with you that I don't think you'll have heard before. And here's how it goes. My theory is that many people don't like going to church because they think about going to church the same way that they think about going to the dentist. Okay? This is my theory. Think about going to church the same way that they think about going to the dentist. And the following descriptions would be equally true of church or dentist. Motivation. Why would they go? Number one, because their family members expect them to. Number two, because they have a general sense that it's the right thing to do. Number three, they hope that doing this will save them future pain. What about the experience of when they're actually there? Again, church or the dentist. It's number one, mildly uncomfortable. Um, Number two, uh, you kind of find that you go and you you get a lecture on something that you're not doing enough of. (laughs) And number three, before you leave, you have to pay more money than you wanted to. (laughs) Church. Dentist, similar thing for so many people. And if this has been your experience, I'm, I'm sure for, one, for, for all of us at one time or another, we've had something of this experience. But when you see a sermon title like today's, How to Be a Church Member, it can just make the eye of your soul roll. Great, we think. How to Be a Church uh, member, I can't wait to hear the list of things I should be doing more of, like the dentist chair. Let's sit back and just wait till this thing's over. The experience for many of us. Now listen, I do have some practical things that we should be doing as church members, three of them. Um, three things we should be doing that we, should be, we invite our members to do, encourage our members to do. Three things that will make you a, a vital, healthy member of the local church. But we can't start with those three things. Why? Because to start with them would be to miss the entire point. Yeah, I've got some practical things, but they are the, the result of the necessary implication of the main thing. What is this main thing? The main thing, of course, is the gospel. But for us to understand that being a part of the church is not like going to the dentist. The main thing I want us to consider is this. Church membership is not about what you do for God. It's about celebrating what God has done for you. 
This isn't about, you know, what we can do to gather together and somehow sort of do things, pay God back. This primarily is about our celebration over all that the Lord has done for us. And it's this category, this category of joy into which we can place these practical applications. It's only once we have this framework in place that we can talk about those specific things we should do. So let's spend a moment on this framework, understanding that membership is primarily about celebrating the God who has done glorious things for us. The writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith, way back in the 17th century, understood this and understood this category well. This is why when they sat down to write their catechism, their very first question, what is the chief end of man? What is the the primary purpose of humanity? Why are we here and what should we be doing? How did they answer? They said, man's chief end, humanity's chief end is to what? Glorify God and enjoy God him forever the reason we're here our, our, our primary purpose is to bring glory to God and that sort of sounds right and that sounds churchy we'd maybe have expected that how though by enjoying him forever you see they understood this connection between God's glory and our joy that God would be glorified as we enjoyed him now it's not just the Westminster divines Jonathan Edwards in the next century David quoted from him last week would write this declaring God's glory speaking God's glory is good for what what do you expect him to say good for something right declaring God's glory is good for nothing other than to raise joy in ourselves and others at what is declared Hang with me. God is glorified, he says, not only by God's glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those who see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. He's saying, the words of your lips that might give praise to God don't have a lot of value unless they spring forth from a heart that has been conformed by those truths that you're professing. So you can speak of joy, you can speak words of praise, and you can say praise the Lord, but if they're not coming from a heart that's been changed by him, they're of little value. Fast forward another couple centuries. Here we now have C.S. Lewis in the 20th century. You might be familiar with the end of this quote, but the start of it is particularly provocative. He says, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and to earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing I suggest that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith it's a very provocative statement there he's saying if you have this sense that it's self-centered selfish and sinful to desire your own joy if you have a sense that it's, it's sort of wrong to seek fulfillment seek enjoyment If you have that sense, you've got that sense from the philosophers, not from the scriptures. He continues to make it a little clearer for us. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when 
infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea, we are too easily pleased. Lewis is saying, the problem is not the pursuit of joy. You've been created to pursue joy. The problem is where you pursue it. You think that trivial things like money and sex and success are going to fulfill you. And you're settling for something that is far too small compared to the infinite joy that is offered to you by God. And so there's a connection between his glory and your joy because when you find joy in him, he is glorified. Fast forward to this century. John Piper puts it in the best soundbite, this connection between glory and joy, when he says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. As you go through life with either the good seasons or the hard seasons or the grieving seasons and say that in those moments, whatever they may bring, whatever they may hold, your hope is in the Lord and he is your salvation and he is the fount of your joy. When you live in that way, God is glorified. Here's the point. Put the Divines and Edwards and Lewis and Piper to one side. You've got to make do with Forsyth. And uh, here's the point we're driving at. A simple point. We make God look great when we enjoy him more than anything else. We make God look great when we enjoy him more than anything else. And that is the duty and joy of our members in this church. To make God look great by enjoying him more than anything else. Else, And it's only in this context, in this context of our relationship with him and the joy of the gospel, that we can move to talk about three practical things. One more illustration on this. Um, the gospel story can be told by reflecting on Christ being sent on that rescue mission to earth where he comes and he lives the life we can't live and he dies the death we dare not die and he rises again and he ascends into heaven. He's victorious, having conquered all his and our enemies, defeating death, defeating guilt, uh, enthroned once more in the splendor of heaven. And what does the Father say to him there? The Father says, you're my beloved son and with you, Jesus, I am well pleased. And he takes the medal of honor and he hangs it around Christ's neck for all that he accomplished here on earth. And then, miracle of miracles, Jesus looks down on the battlefield once again and sees his enemies. Who are his enemies? He sees me. He sees you. He sees those who are living in rebellion against him. And he says, I'm going to share my victory with them. By the work of his spirit, he changes our hearts, enables us to have faith in him, unites us to him so closely that we are like his brothers, so closely that he now takes the medal of honor off his neck and places it on ours. So that what happens when you enter the very throne room of God? By your union with Jesus, God himself salutes and says, you, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and with you I am well pleased. That's the gospel. Accepted, received, delighted in because of the work of Christ. Now, question. 
what does that gospel do to you? You know, is that gospel kind of like, uh, when Christ places that medal on you, do you suddenly feel like, oh, well, that's good. I'm glad that's taken care of. Now, to the pool and uh, the beach and a life of relaxation. I don't know about you, but that gospel makes me want to get back in the battle. That gospel, yes, the gospel gives you rest. And gospel rest is more peaceful than any other kind of rest. A rest of soul that the world has no conception of. But the gospel doesn't just make you rest. The gospel also makes you animated. It gives you rest and it gives you energy. It gives you peace and it gives you a bit of fight. (laughs) Puts a bit of steel in your spine. Bit of iron in your gut readies you to go back out into battle for his kingdom purposes here on earth. But you see, once again, it's only in the context of joy that we start to be active. It's only in response to what he's done for us that we start to live the kind of life that he is calling us to. This is the gospel picture, this category of joy that our members need. And in this category, and only in this category, are we ready to go to battle and do the three things that come at the end of this sermon. So, 15 minutes on the category, 5 minutes on the three things. Are you ready? Number one, because of the joy of the gospel and for our own joy in the gospel, the first thing we expect our members to do, so simple, is worship. Is worship. Now you're all here, so I guess I'm preaching to the choir, okay? But we don't underestimate the fact that here, in a special way, we celebrate God's greatness, enjoying who he is, enjoying what he's done for us. And we do it in a way that's different to the rest of our week. Of course you worship on Monday and Tuesday. Of course all of our lives are lived out in worship the Lord. But of course, in a special way, we're gathered together as his people to worship corporately just now. And God calls us to that. He calls us not to neglect meeting together that we would be in this place to give him praise. And we find that as we do so, as we come to worship, our own joy in the gospel, the joy that brought us to worship in the first place, is then multiplied or magnified. Um, Share an example that happened for me as I was sitting worshipping with you uh, a few months back. It was another month that we had the Lord's Supper, another week we had the Lord's Supper. And, you know, the elders come up and we pass out trays and we lift lids and there's clanking and there's, you know, we're kind of doing all those logistical things. Well, uh, the elder who took the bread on, on my side, uh, several bits of bread from the plate below had stuck to his plate. And so as he turned, the two, two or three pieces of bread just fell, fell on the floor. And he didn't notice, he just kind of went on his way. And I was sitting right there and I saw these, these crumbs fall and I bent down to pick them up. And I swear, the very second my fingers touched the bread and, and the carpet on the floor, the Holy Spirit, remember our prayer series? We believe in the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, Holy Spirit who uh, is at work in our lives, active in our lives. One of the things we said he does is uh, remind us of his word. The very second... My fingers touched the bread and the carpet. That verse from Matthew 15 came to mind. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And I thought, Lord, (laughs) this is excellent. (laughs) This is excellent. Because here I am, a needy sinner, dog in your sight, picking up crumbs that are sufficient to satisfy my soul for all eternity. 
Amen? Yeah. The joy that brought me to worship is then magnified in worship. And you all have your own experiences of this. You have these moments in worship where the Lord's at work in your heart. The moments in worship where the Lord presses a particular truth on your soul. These moments in worship where he's, a, he's alive and he's active and he's busy in this place to convict us of the truth of our profession. So yes, we worship. We bring glory to him. But as we do so, it increases our joy. And as our joy increases, he gets more glory. Number one, as members, we worship. Second thing, because of the joy of the gospel and for our own joy, yes, we worship. But secondly, we also seek to involve ourselves in community. Involve ourselves in community. This idea that God has has structured his church in such a way that we grow, we we mature, we, we flourish, we become all that he wants us to be, not when we live in isolation, but when we live in community. That he has designed you and this isn't a personality thing. This isn't an extrovert-introvert thing. All of us. He's designed all of us to flourish when we live in relationship with each other. Authentic, vulnerable, tenacious relationships. It's only in community that we grow in our faith. The Bible has no concept of you know, this rugged individualism. It has no conception of sort of spiritual lone ranger maverick Christianity it's you Jesus your Bible you're good that's just not a biblical category the biblical category is of of community and it's only as we live in community that we're built up and encouraged again an example of of how this is at play for me uh, just in the last couple weeks um I have a friend that I met up with for lunch, and as we were driving to lunch, he says to me, oh, do you mind if we um, quickly swing by my AA meeting? I tried to go at lunchtime. So I was like, sure, let's go. Let's do that. That sounds good. And we go in, and we sit down, and uh, it's awesome, because it's just this talk about authentic, vulnerable community. There you find it, sitting, sitting in AA. And uh, at one point during the meeting, uh, my friend, and I didn't know this uh, was going to happen, gets his one-month chip, his one-month sober chip, and uh, it was just like a really, really neat thing. Now, it was funny because he was thanking me for going, you know? He was like, oh, thank, thanks for coming with me. He was thanking me for the, for the community I provided him. And I was sort of like, I'm thanking you. Because when you don't drink, you make God look beautiful. In your brokenness and in your sin, when you choose to seek sobriety, you're making Jesus look really precious. And I'm not sure if today I'm sacrificing to the lens you're sacrificing in order to follow Jesus. So don't, (laughs) I mean, don't thank me. I'm thanking you. Now what's happening there? He's blessed by me, I'm blessed by him. It's this thing called community that God has designed his church to, to grow in relationship with one another. That you know things about Jesus that I don't know. And I've experienced a couple of things about Jesus that maybe you don't know. And so when we get together, we talk and we share, and both of our faiths grow because of the community we share together. And this is why we encourage everyone at our church not just to come to gathering, the corporate gathering on a Sunday morning, but to be involved in one of our community ministries. Children, student, young adult, men, women, senior saints, small groups, care ministries, any of these community ministries, any of these places where relationships are formed that you might grow in the grace of the gospel together. 
That's going to be the key to um, the depth of your experience here at this church. Um, when folks leave the church because they're moving town or moving city and they come talk to you and they tell you, you know, I was just so blessed by my time here. The largest, uh, we were so encouraged by having been at this church. We're so sorry to be, to be leaving this congregation. You know, the reasons they always tell you, tell you why they've loved the church so much? They don't talk about the music. And they don't talk about the preaching. (laughs) They talk about the relationships. People who have relational equity in the flock are those who are built up and encouraged by Jesus and those who will be most impacted by the ministries here at McLean. So yes, come to worship. Preach to the choir. Glad you're here. Come back next week. But yes, involve yourself in a smaller community as well. Because of the joy of the gospel and for your joy, we number one, worship. Number two, we live in community. And number three, we also invest in the work of missions. Worship, community, missions. What is missions? It's the way in which we enjoy God's grace by extending it to other people. C.S. Lewis has another great section where he talks about how The joy of a thing isn't complete until that joy has been shared. So, for example, you find a great restaurant, okay, and you love it and you enjoy it. But somehow, you can't just be satisfied with the fact that you went to this restaurant. You have to tell some friends, oh, we went to this amazing restaurant. You should have had the tacos. They were awesome, right? And then you take them with you the next time you go. Why is that? Why can't you just be happy, you know, eating your tacos, right? I don't know. Because the joy of the thing is not complete until it's shared. You find some new music that you just love, and it really sort of captures your imagine, imagination and kind of moves you at a heart level. You're not content just to listen to that music. You have to share it with others. And so it is with restaurants, and so it is with music, and so it is with the gospel. That the joy of the gospel actually is multiplied when we share it with others. One last story, and then I'm done. I'm just back from Romania. Um, profound, uh, profoundly impactful trip uh, for me and, and the others who the went there. It's incredible to see. Uh, RCE, the ministry we partnered with there, was uh, formed some 20 years ago by ordinary members here in the flock who had a heart for Romania and a desire to do something about uh, the orphan crisis that was exploding uh, some 20 years ago. Uh, Through uh, their efforts, the Lord has just multiplied and grown and done far more than they could have ever uh, expected. And now they have a school for special needs children, uh, the vast majority of whom are orphans. Some, of course, have been adopted to families. They also have homes on the property that house kids from age 3 through 18, uh, loving, caring for these orphans. Their goal as a ministry is to rescue orphans and place them in Christian families that in many ways they might have the blessing of a normal life. All the million things we take for granted that, that they desire to, to bless these kids with a, with a normal life. Well, one day we went to visit uh, the family, uh, a family who'd adopted uh, a wee boy. The family has, I think, 11 kids and then they adopted. You know, isn't that great? Like, that's some enthusiasm right there, right? <laughs> yeah, my four barely got started (laughs) Um, and so uh, we went into the home and uh, as soon as we walked in 
the first person I met was the wee boy who'd been adopted. Okay, sweet, eight or nine-year-old wee boy. And the first thing I noticed about him just struck me straight away was he had a really, really awesome haircut. Okay, he has, he has like quite high hair. It's grown long on top, but shaved really high. Okay, so it's like super high and tight, but then really long. And I was like, dude, your haircut is awesome, right? And he was like, you know, kind of in an eight-year-old eight by way, he was like, my haircut is awesome, <laughs> right? You know, like he was like really happy with this, with this haircut that he had. And then a couple minutes later, as we're having this conversation, footsteps down the stairs, and it's six or seven of the other 11, and among them are three or four older teenage boys who all have the same haircut. <laughs> Isn't that excellent? Isn't that just so beautiful? That a little boy who has no mom and has no dad and has no brothers and has no sisters is now placed in a loving family with big brothers who he thinks have awesome haircuts. And his big brothers come and they give him an awesome haircut so that they're like each other. Now you get it. This is about more than the haircut. Okay? (laughs) It's about a little boy. His life's been changed by the work of missions. Because some 20 years ago, folks could have been sitting in your pew, had a heart for those in need, and sought to extend the grace that they'd received to others. And so the joy that led them to do that has been magnified. Has been magnified. Because of the gospel, because of the joy, and for our own joy, we're about worship, we're about community, we're about missions. What's required of our member here at MPC? To make God look great by enjoying him more than anything else. Seeing that play out in worship as we gather together to celebrate who he is. In community as we involve ourselves in each other's lives. In missions as we invest in the work that he has given us to do. Let's pray together. Father, there are so many things that spring forth from your divine imagination and amaze us. And surely, Lord, the way in which you have constructed reality so that you get glory when we enjoy you is just a great example of those things. Father, that you would so design this world that when we are satisfied in you, when we find Uh, our joy in you, not chasing after the things of the world, the empty, fleeting pleasures of uh, money, sex, success. We find joy in, in you, deep joy, lasting joy, eternal joy. In that moment of celebration, your name is glorified. And so as a church, we want that to be our category, glorifying you by enjoying you. And we want to put everything we do, worship, community, missions, into that category. Lord, would you be at work still in our hearts, uh, in these pews, uh, that we might be a people who celebrate you and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.